John chapter 13 and verse 34. I want to talk today about love and unity. Would you say that after me, please? Love, love. and unity. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. By this you all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then in John 17 and 20, Jesus goes on and says, I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me have I given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me they might be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they may also, whom you gave me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Dear Lord, we ask your blessing upon us as we share from your word. Strengthen our hearts, inspire our minds, Bring us together, make us one. Let us leave this place exhilarated and motivated to do great things for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All of the words which I have read today were spoken during a very significant period in the life of Jesus Christ. Some people today, if they were informed that they had only a few days to live. They would disintegrate mentally, and they would disintegrate emotionally. Jesus Christ has realized that the hour of his death had come, that he would depart from this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them until the end. But Jesus did not disintegrate emotionally as he looked toward the hour of his death. He did not retreat into a corner of despair and paralysis. Others who confronted a similar moment would focus on dealing with important matters of business, important priorities. They would try to spend as many days of quality time in prayer with the people whom they loved. But Jesus realized it had just a few days to go before his crucifixion. And he, during those days, did not spend his time complaining about what was going to happen to him. He focused on preparing 
his disciples for what they were about to face. He focused on advising them regarding the nature of the work that they were to do. He focused on seeking the Father's help on their behalf. And it's amazing how many of the words that Jesus spoke had to do with teaching people to love one another and to be in unity together. Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father are in an amazing example of love and unity. The Bible indicates that they were one in nature, one in essence, one in and equal in power and in glory. But it also indicates that they are one in love. John 3.35 says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Jesus, the Son, had an inseparable partnership with God the Father, an inseparable relationship of love and unity. And when Jesus came to the earth, he worked not only in partnership with his Father in heaven, but he also worked in partnership with selected men and women on the face of the earth. He would not start his ministry without gathering a group of disciples around him. Even the Son of God did not work without the assistance of other people. He was not an independent, solitary person on an independent, solitary mission, but he pursued his mission in partnership with God and in partnership with others. And as he approached the end of his earthly mission, he informed his disciples and all believers that their success and their effectiveness would be dependent on their coming into love and into unity with one another, as he had done with God the Father, and as he had done with them, his disciples. So he informed them that love would be the distinctive characteristic by which they would be known. John 13 and 35 says, but this would all men know, or by this would all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. A family should not only be known by their similar physical characteristics, they should be known by the special love that they have one for another. And they should be known by their cohesiveness as a family unit. You can't do anything about who your brother or your sister is. They are who and what they are. And it is what it is. You can't change families. Your family is your family. And so we as individuals need to re-examine and evaluate our role as believers because believers are the family of God. We are obligated as believers to love and cooperate with one another and to be stable and mature. And Jesus commands us as believers that we should love one another as he loved us. He loved us when we were rude. He loved us when we were inconsiderate. 
He left us when we refused to be his friend. He left us when we behaved in ways that were displeasing to him. He left us when we were way beneath his level and way below his class. He left us when we had nothing, nothing to offer him that he needed. He left us even though our sins had caused the Father to give him as a sacrifice in our place. Jesus loved us. He loved us enough to leave the comfort and the joy of heaven and walk on this barren earth toward the cross. He loved us more than he left himself because he gave himself for us. And so Jesus says to us, I know you're not going to be able to do this perfectly, but I want you to try. Love one another as I have loved you. It grieves a mother. It grieves a father to see the issue of their bodies who are the same blood, who are brothers and sisters. It causes pain to a mother and father to see their sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, fighting and scheming against one another. But it also grieves the Lord to see those who claim to love him fighting against one another and scheming against one another. It's a joy, it's a wonderful privilege to be loved and to love. It's a high value pursuit in and of itself, apart from any other advantage or benefit that might be gained. It's a pleasure to love and to be loved by others. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 and 12, as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. For the Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many members. And he said in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The Lord would have us understand that the church is the body of Christ and that we are members of that body. And physically, our bodies are made up of many limbs and many members, arms, hands, legs, feet, head, neck. And one of the most horrible sights conceivable is a disjointed body. If you came in the house of the Lord today and there was a, a head down here in the middle of that aisle and, and a leg in the center aisle and a, a torso in the aisle to my left and, and an arm hanging over the edge of the balcony, you would beat a quick exit from the church and you say, I ain't never going to that church no more. A disjointed body is a horrible experience. But for the body of Jesus Christ to be disjointed and fighting together and scattered across the, 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 the whole scene by their division and by their hatred, that's a horrible sight also. Can somebody say amen? amen? So there can be no real ministry, no real productivity without love and unity. Say to your neighbor, we need love.
and we need unity. Jesus said in John 17, 22, the glory, God, which you gave me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. All this love, all this unity powerfully informs the world that Jesus is the Son of God and the Lord of all creation. The world will not know that it needs to know Jesus without unity in the church. If they see the church people fighting, arguing, and fussing with one another, then they will not wish to have the faith that we have, and they will not believe that we are really Christians or that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want to say that many of the accomplishments that have taken place in our world, that many of the accomplishments that we admire and benefit from, they are a result of unity. Years ago, unity placed a man on the moon. Once the president issued the challenge, thousands of people joined together to accomplish the task. And after a while, it was done. Unity placed a man on the moon. Unity can move mountains. Unity can fill up valleys. Unity can, unity can explore the depths of the sea. Unity can bring up treasures from the depth of the sea. There are many things that we cannot do alone. Would you tell your neighbor there are many things we cannot do alone? John Maxwell says, one is too small a number to achieve greatness. Lyndon Johnson said, there are no problems that we cannot solve together. And there are very few problems that we can solve all by ourselves. Two groups are getting together today. San Francisco 49ers, Kansas City Chiefs. The destiny of the winner is going to be that they came together in unity, that they worked as a team, that they fought with all their might as one to win the battle. And whichever team has the greatest amount of mutuality and unit, unity, that is going to be the winner of the battle. Anybody have any feelings about how it's going to turn out? I know who's going to win. I know who's going to be. Want me to tell you? The team that has the greatest amount of unity and love one for another. Mm -hmm. God himself confirms the benefits of unity and mutuality of effort. The Bible talks about this in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9, where it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. 
Again, in verse 11, if two lie down together, that's only husbands and wives. Now. If two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12, though one may be overwhelmed by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we as a people have got to learn how important it is that we are part of some team. The power of collective collaboration and active action, the power of partnership. John Maxwell says teamwork divides the risk and multiplies the effect. And he says that teamwork makes the dream work. You tell two people teamwork, teamwork. makes the dream work. In Genesis 2 and 18, the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so God created us so that we dread extended aloneness. We don't like being lonely. There are a host of animal species who derive their well-being from the fact that they join together with others of their kind to reach a level of well-being that they could not reach by themselves. Some small inse insects can bring down mighty animals because they join together and they work together in the battle. Those who are aware of their limitations know they need help. Anybody in here who needs some help today? They know that they can maximize their potential only when they join with others in unity and in love. In Genesis 9 and 1, God gave Noah and his sons a specific assignment. The Bible says, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth or replenish the earth. And in Genesis 11 and 4, we read of the response of Noah's sons and descendants to God's assignment. They said, God had said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves. Now that is representative of selfish and vain aspiration. Rather than replenishing the earth, they said, let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad. We don't want to be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. That was a purpose directly opposed to the plan of God who had told them to go out across the earth and replenish the earth. And in Genesis 11 and 6, God informs us of the power of unity because when they came together, speaking the same language as one, working on the same goal, making a name for themselves, building a tower that would reach to heaven, God informs us of the power of their unity when he said, indeed, the people are one, Genesis 11 and 6, and they have all one language. And this they began to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. He said when people agree and they come together in unity and as one, there is nothing that they aspire to do that will be restrained from them. Look toward your neighbor 
and say, when people come together, united as one, there is nothing that they aspire to do that cannot be done. Hallelujah. And then the Lord had a solution for this loss of purpose and for the pursuit of that which was not his will. The Lord said in Genesis 11 and 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. The very objective that God had had for them, they did not pursue, but when God confused their language, they went toward the very purpose of God by being scattered abroad across the earth. But they did not do so in unity and in togetherness. But when Jesus came to the earth, Jesus set in motion a series of events that made possible the restoration of everything that was lost at the Tower of Babel, and even more than that which was lost. And I say even more because humanity's loss at Babel was merely an extension of, and the result of our loss through Adam in the Garden of Eden. When Adam rejected the will, the plan of God, mankind became cursed and rejected by the very power and the might of Almighty God, and they lost the unity of one language and could not set about building the tower. But when they lost it, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accomplished one of the most wonderful things on the face of the earth or in heaven. Jesus on the cross reversed the curse and extended to us grace and the forgiveness of God. I said Jesus reversed the curse, extended to us the love and the mercy of Almighty God. Clap your hands and give praise to the Lord. In Galatians 3 and 13, the Bible says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For as it has been written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Isaiah looked prophetically at Jesus and said in Isaiah 53 and 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The Bible says, all we like sheep had gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've got good news for somebody. Your failures are laid on Jesus. Your disappointments are laid on Jesus. Your messes that you've made are laid on Jesus Christ. Your sins are laid on Jesus. He died in your place. He suffered because of your sin. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't know about you, but I've got
good news for you. You don't have to take the rap. You don't have to pay the price. You don't have to do the time. Jesus who died for you, that lay it all on me. I will die for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to know today Jesus not only died for us, but Jesus arose from the dead. I said he not only died for us, but on the third day morning, he arose from the dead. He grabbed death by the collar and shook death until death turned him loose. He stepped forth from the grave and said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore. If you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again from the dead, come on, let's give Jesus praise. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and so free. Tell your neighbor, I'm so glad that the Lord died for me. Mankind has no greater enemy than death. And if Jesus could defeat death, Jesus can defeat every other enemy. No situation is hopeless. Nothing is impossible as long as God is involved. God can do anything. Would you tell three people God can do anything? Nothing is impossible as long as God is involved. The sting of death has been taken away because of the resurrection of Jesus. Death is nothing but a passageway into eternal life with God. We don't have to fear death. And if we don't need fear death, we don't need to fear anything. If Jesus broke through death, he died, but he arose on the third day. Child of God, I've got good news for you. If Jesus is alive, that means we will come alive in the last day and we'll stand before our Lord throughout all eternity. Will somebody help me praise God? Help me praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And Paul said in Philippians 3 and 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. To know him in the power of his resurrection gives us the courage to know him in the fellowship of our suffering. If we know him, we can endure. If we know him, we can overcome. If we know him, no matter what we're going through, he will bring us through it in the name of Jesus. Tough times come our way. Heartbreak 
is a part of life. The folk we love sometimes leave us, but Jesus arose from the dead, and if he's alive, we too shall live. I know there are tough experiences that come our way, but when I see Jesus, the Son of God, alive from the dead, he says, because I live, you shall live also. Why doesn't somebody praise the Lord? Come on and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Tell two people, Jesus is alive. Tell the second one, Jesus is alive. To know him in the power of his resurrection gives us the courage to know him in the fellowship of his suffering, to know him in the power of his resurrection eliminates an inferiority complex. I am not weak and aimless before the forces of the world. I serve the risen Christ who said, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? You may have lost somebody here lately, but put your trust in God. If you believe in the Lord, he gives you power to come through on the other side, to know him in the power of his resurrection is to rise above habits and behavior that characterize our life when we were dead in sin. To know him in the power of his resurrection places other, every other situation under our feet. For Jesus said, I give you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy to know him in the power of his resurrection is to have the same power at work in your life that worked in Jesus when he arose from the dead. If Jesus is alive, put your faith in him. One day you too, even though death snatches you from the faith of the earth, you shall live again in the name of Jesus. Tell your name if Jesus is alive. That means we too shall be alive forever. I've got power that you can't see. God is living inside me. I can fight any enemy for God and me. I am a majority. Yes, yes, child of God, child of God. My message today that we can release an explosion of potential when we walk in unity and in love. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, our potential can explode when we walk in unity and when we walk in love. One can chase a thousand, two can put 10,000 to flight, two can accomplish 10 times as much as one can. And when we come together in unity, there's nothing that we cannot do. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus said to us, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. 
And if they agree as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done. It shall be done. It shall be done. It shall be done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What was destroyed at the Tower of Babel was restored on a hill called Calvary. What was destroyed at the Tower of Babel was restored on the day of Pentecost. Let's notice in Acts 2 and 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. Our society places such an influence on individuality and independence, but God is calling for us to commit to love and unity. Tell your neighbor, God is calling for us to stand in love and in unity. They were all with one accord in one place. And verse 4 says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because they heard every one of them speak in his own language. And they were amazed, saying to one another, are not all these that speak Galileans? And now we hear each in our own tongue. We hear them speaking in our own language, the wonderful work of God. These believers were both committed to love and to unity. They were anointed to love one another. And when they got together and the Holy Ghost came on them, they could communicate with men from every nation under the face of the earth. They were qualified for the privilege of unrestrained potential. When God on the day of Pentecost restored to them one language, the hearers were saying, I hear everybody in my own language. That was a sign from God. I am giving the church the power of unity again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. And they were qualified for the privilege of unrestricted potential. Genesis said in Genesis 11 and 6, the people are one and they have one language. And this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. And God's purpose is love and unity. And when we are people of love, we minister to Jesus himself. When we are people of love, he extends forgiveness and mercy to us. He said, if you forgive your brother, your father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive your brother, your father will not forgive you. Child of God, I want you to bear one another's burdens and walk in love and walk in unity. When we walk in love, when we stand together in unity, God takes us higher than we've ever gone before. God will work on our behalf when we walk in unity. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord 
to them who are called according to his purpose. The Bible says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. But there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. God says when you get together, church, when you get together, people, when you stand together as one, God will command a blessing upon you, a commanded blessing. It's a blessing that nobody can block. A commanded blessing pursues you and overtakes you. A commanded blessing. Jealous folk, jealous folk cannot take it away. A commanded blessing. Nobody can do anything when God gives you a commanded blessing. That commanded blessing is the place of unity and the place of love. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. It is his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, you are important to me. I need you to survive. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. I won't harm you with words from my mouth. I love you. I need you to survive. Tell your neighbor I love you. I need you to survive. On the day of Pentecost, they came back together by means of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5 and 5 says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Only the Holy Spirit can pour out that love that will unite us together with one another. And Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You shall be witnesses in all the world. Tell it everywhere you go. I don't know about you, but I'm praying for the power of the Holy Ghost. Raise your hand and say, Holy Spirit, descend upon me. Send the promise. Send the promise of the Holy Spirit upon me. The Holy Ghost is in the room right now. The power of God is present. You shall receive power. I don't know about you, but I've got power that you can't see. God is living inside me. I can fight any enemy, but God and me, I majority. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He sent the Holy Ghost into the world. If you can't do it by yourself, the Holy Ghost will help you. The Holy Ghost will enable you. The Holy Ghost will put love in your heart. The Holy Ghost will bring us into unity. The Holy Ghost will take us higher than we've ever gone. And you receive, I said you receive the Holy Ghost by faith. You receive it by the power of God. 
Hallelujah. Galatians 3 and verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentile in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Come on, neighbor, say we will receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And when you receive something by faith, you praise God as if you already received it. I said when you receive something by faith, you praise God just like it was already done. Lord, we need your spirit. Lord, we need your power. Lord, we need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And then you thank him and you praise him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of the Holy Ghost. Thank you. It's mine. Come on, neighbor, hold your hand up and say, it's mine. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And the Lord said, where my people come together in unity, I command a blessing. Tell your neighbor, a commanded blessing is yours today. A commanded blessing upon you in the name of Jesus. Touch them on the shoulder and say, yours is the commanded blessing. Now thank God for it. Stand up, everybody. Hallelujah. A commanded blessing. A commanded blessing. A commanded blessing. If by love we show the world that we're his disciples, I can't take it lightly. I commend my love to you. I'll tear down all the walls I built with selfish pride, and I will crucify pride. But when we are divided, I can hear him crying. I won't be a part of breaking his heart anymore. So, brother, I commit my love to you. I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the glory of our King. And I love you with the love of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Shake five people by the hand and sing to them. I love you. Sing it one more time. Preached a message of hope. Preached a message of faith. That you can come to the place of commanded blessing. After all we've experienced in these last few weeks, all of us must understand how desperately we need the Lord. And how desperately we need to come together in unity. God has placed in our hands the power to transform the world. God has placed in our hands the power to make a difference. It's not enough to complain and fuss about the crazy, tragic things that take place in life. That's a part of life. God does not always intervene. God sometimes stands back and waits on us to call on him for help. If my people will call my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Somebody needs to just walk down to the altar. You've been overwhelmed by what you've experienced, by what you've seen, by what you've heard. And you've made a decision. I want to have Jesus Christ in my life. I want to be saved. I want the resurrected one to dwell in me. Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And you shall. Be saved. I dare you to step out in the name of Jesus. Come down to the altar and say, Preacher, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. If you're here today and you don't know him, you have not accepted him, your sins are not forgiven. They can be forgiven today through Jesus, who died in your place and who rose again from the dead. While every head is bowed, Every eye is closed. If you would say, Preacher, pray for me. I need Jesus to be my Savior and to be my Lord. If that's you, just lift that hand. 
hold it up high enough so that I can see it. And we'll include you in this prayer in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. Lord, bless the uplifted hands. Bless those who say, I need God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be saved. I want to live for God. I want to be what God would have me to be. I want the blessing of God to be commanded on my life in the name of Jesus. I repent for my sins. I'm sorry for the life I've lived, the wrong things I've done. Now, dear Lord, I give my life to you. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Repeat this prayer after me, please. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you, Lord. I am forgiven. I am saved. Come on, give God praise and thanks. Lift your hand again if you lifted your hand a moment ago. If you should have lifted your hand, please do so now in the name of Jesus. I want to write you a letter this week of encouragement.